Hello and welcome to the Marvels of Science, a new podcast about the science and tech of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. All your favorite heroes and villains from the Hulk and the Red Skull to Black Panther and Kurt Russell playing a planet god in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Small G, son. Speaking of the Guardians, today's topic is Groot, a sort of sentient plant whose name might not even be Groot. He's got a heart of gold and super strength. I am Groot. Here with me today are two good friends of mine. Nate Miller is a botanist with the USDA, and so he has the task of finding even the tiniest nugget of reality in Groot's existence. He's our science expert this episode. Thanks for joining, Nate. Thanks for having me, Dave. (laughs) My pleasure. And Heather Calhoun is our color commentator today, but Heather, since you have a biology degree with a forestry concentration, you'll be pulling double duty today. That's right. We are already breaking the format. Unfortunately, your pay is not doubled. Well, actually, you know what? Your pay is doubled because zero times two is zero. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Uh, First and most importantly, Nate, your middle name is Forrest, and you're a botanist on a podcast talking about trees. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I guess my parents knew what was what I was going to be when I grew up. There's this thing called nominative determinism. Like, I had a tech ed teacher named Mr. Hammer and an astronomy teacher named Mrs. Moon. So do, do you actually think that it influenced your career path at all? I'm positive of it, yeah. <laughs> you, were you debating between other things and you were like, but Forrest, so... Yeah, yeah. If my if my middle name was Brick or something, I'd have would have gone into masonry. I'm gonna have to figure out what Calhoun is. I already did. I did some homework. Heather, your last name Calhoun might have origins in the Gaelic wood for word for wood, which is coil. Though to be honest, there are many more likely explanations. But how much forestry do you remember from school? Oh, uh, I remember a lot because when I, after I got a Peace Corps, I joined, uh, I did a seasonal seasonal job with National Park Service, and one of the jobs was going out to the National Capital Region and monitoring the health and growth of different plots around the different forests. So uh, I had to bring back a lot of uh, the naming of a lot of the different trees in the area. So I remember a fair amount, uh, especially some of my favorite trees. Um, and I really enjoyed it, but we'll see how much, uh, experience from that really brings to this conversation. So we'll see. (laughs) Awesome. That's great. You got to actually use your degree that as far as I'm aware, that never happens. (laughs) So if you think, uh, the connection between Calhoun and Wood and Groot was a stretch, well, buckle up because (laughs) we're going to really be reaching for any sort of actual science in the ridiculousness that is Groot. He is complicated. There's a Marvel wiki, of course there is, although it's unofficial, uh, but it says he's a member of the species Flora Colossi, which is, you know, big plant, so not a lot of help. Um, And that's also never mentioned in the movies. He's a plant, but he's a person. He's a plant person. I am Groot. Heather, before we dive in, Take a guess at how many unique words Groot says in all of his appearances in the movies. Three. You'd think. 
but he at one point manages to say, We are Groot. We are Groot. So it's a total of five unique words. And for some reason, they decided to pay Vin Diesel about $100 million to do that. And Nate, the first question I think is the probably the most ridiculous. Like, I'm not sure. Why don't we see self-aware plants on Earth? We have one, as far as we know, self-aware animal, if we're going to be picky about the definition of self-aware. But we have a lot of animals that seem to be at least as, you know, maybe partially as self-aware as humans. But as far as I know, we don't see any self-aware plants on Earth. Is that... Is that question as nonsensical as it sounds? I mean, I like. I guess it kind of depends on how spiritual you are. But like from like kind of a scientific background, I mean, I guess there's not really an evolutionary advantage to being self-aware. Like they just have to stay in one place most of the time. So you don't have to think a whole lot. That's not a good use of your energy. If you move around, you have to think a lot and process about what what actions you should be doing, but it's it's pretty automated in plants. Do you think there are some plants that move, right, like very slowly, like season to season kind of thing, like a, a farm will migrate, but like an inch a year or something ridiculous, but you think if a plant had to, you know, hunt, it has a higher potential of being advantageous maybe? I mean, there are plants that do hunt, right? So like Venus flytraps do hunt and that they, they have, um, that they, I guess, put out their little folder, if you will, um, and then just wait for, wait for a fly to jump in. Um, and when they do, then they'll, they'll close and then digest that fly. But that's not, it's not like a super high brain power because you just have to, like, they just wait for the fly to, there's little trigger hairs on it. Once, like, enough of those little hairs have been touched by a fly, then, then that little taco will close. Taco shell will close to have a little fly taco. I'm going to need you to dial down the technical jargon, Nate. <laughs> it, it depends on how you want to think of hunt as well, because all plants, if you've ever had a house plant and you put it on a shelf, you know, you can see it throughout the day or maybe, you know, from one day to the next, it always reaches for the sun and, and tries to search out that sunlight. So there's a different type of hunt in that too. Yeah, it's still moving in order to chase its calories basically or its yeah. energy at least so do you think for either of you if you have could have a pet plant one that responds to you like a cat or a dog might would you go for it or would you think that would wig you out Ooh, good question um i think that would be kind of cool because you would save so much money and never having to actually feed it just make sure it gets enough sun Get a light bulb, a UV light if you needed that. Uh, so I think that would be a lot of fun. I would I would go for it. I would test it out. Hopefully it's a good plan, not one that tries to kill me in the middle of the night, though. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I would as well because I, well, I, I have cats, and I like them because they require just minimal effort, and I feel like that would it would be the exact same for a plant. But I don't know what it's like for you, Nate, but I don't think I could have a plant and cats because my cats go for all the plants so there could be a, a little bit of a fight there but I, I would agree with you otherwise uh, yes and my cats definitely try to eat all my plants regardless so I think that having one that moved around would just make it more fun for them <laughs> uh, an extra toy I guess you could say <laughs> yeah on the subject of plants versus animals I kind of remember from school that plant cells have cell walls 
animal cells do not, relying only on a membrane. Is that right? Or what are some other sort of fundamental differences between plants and animals? You're, you're right that plants have cell walls that, that are pretty thick and keeps light. And so they don't, which is why they can't really move. Uh, plants also have, are called chloroplasts. Um, and those are little organelles within a plant cell. They're the, what makes it green. They have a green pigment in them that can catch sunlight. Um, and then that sunlight is turned into, into sugar. And the, the reaction causes this electron chain to move around to uh, that eventually produces a sugar molecule for the plant that the plant can digest later. Um, so that's one difference. I mean, I, that's, those are, I would say those are probably the biggest things having that cell wall, which makes it rigid. I mean, that's why you have, you know, the way that the structure is, is that's why they can't move is because of the way that the cells are. And then, yeah, having chlorophyll of being able to produce their own food is one of the biggest differences. So I'd, I'd say those are probably the, the largest ones. So then having a around eight foot tall tree person, do you think Groot has cell walls or not? Or do you think the way he moves means now that he'd be breaking them all the time so that he, that, or that's too rigid for the way he moves? Maybe he has a combo. Yeah. I mean, we have bones, right? Bones, bones are pretty sturdy. So <laughs> it was like, he would somehow have to figure out a way to move around. Like he would have to have some sort of like tissue that would like move all of the plant cells or like all the plant ah. cell walls somehow. That's I I've, I've been thinking about the, about this a little bit like does he just like extend like extend all these cell walls? That doesn't make sense. So he must have some sort of like musculature that's like that's moving this exoskeleton of wood, right? Is that how it works? Is that what flora flora colossi do? <laughs> <laughs> is that is this on the wiki? <laughs> I say it can do whatever we say it can do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the beauty of science fiction that doesn't bother with the science part. So maybe you're saying he has, if he is at all plant, and certainly I guess it would be possible that he is not even at all plant. He just coincidentally looks a bit like a tree and does some tree-like things, but maybe he finds that very insulting. Maybe I'm being super racist. I don't know. Maybe I'm going to cut that part out of the show. Um, the part where I call myself racist, I mean. Um, <laughs> if we assume that he doesn't just look like a plant, he actually has some plantness to him, plantosity, if you will, maybe that is an internal rigid structure covered by something else, maybe cells that are closer to what we think of as animal cells or something. I like it. This is a working, this is a good theory. And then there's a third thing, fungus, right? This, fungus is a whole other thing. I want to read the title of, of this uh, paper's characterization of fungicide sensitivity and analysis of microsatellites for population studies of <laughs> Fusarium oxysporum. Nate, does that ring a bell? <laughs> it does ring a bell. It was, it's uh, too much of my life went into that. I I found I found your paper on the internet. <laughs> oh, that's how I found out your middle name was. I was looking for like some intro thing about you, maybe from the USDA website or whatever. And I googled Nate Miller, USDA, and eventually got to this uh, paper. I tried to read it and then I stopped. And I just wanted to read that out. Uh, <laughs> it's your your master's thesis. 
You're welcome, Carl. Without, you know, giving me 138 pages that I'm looking at, what basically then, where does a fungus fall on this spectrum, if you can call it a spectrum? Yeah, so fungi are technically more related to animals because they're in the larger super kingdom of of eukaryotes, the same one, it's called unicons. Um, but fungi and animals are a little bit different. Um, fungi have cell walls, which are kind of like plants, but they don't have chloroplasts. Um, and so instead they have to digest things from the, the, the surrounding environment. They do, it's called extracellular digestion, which means that they that they excrete all of their enzymes out into the environment um, and then will take up the the nutrients directly from the environment. A lot of other things will like bring things into their into their cells and then digest them internally. And that's what that's what we do is that we'll take in larger molecules um, and then process them internally. So for all we know, Groot is a plant animal fungus. Although we do see him sprout some leaves and they are green so either he's a green person or i mean one of his his other people he's hanging out with is a green person so who knows he also produces a flower which is a plant thing to do there are no fungus flowers no okay more evidence for plant <laughs> so heather forestry time what distinguishes a tree from other plants is there a botanical distinction here or is it just popular perception like tomatoes being fruits or vegetables depending on the context Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is probably one of the most obvious things that you see is that tree trunk, is that you're going to have a woody uh, part of a tree. So you don't have that with herbaceous species like, you know, plants or your basic um, uh, stuff that you'll find on the forest floor. The biggest part is having that that woody structure um, to a tree that would group more of a tree than just a, a general plant, I guess, if you'd want to say. Botanically speaking, wood is a thing too. It's not just like a, a, a lay word. It's also there's also a technical definition of wood. Uh, yeah. So onto trees specifically. Uh, Nate, you mentioned before we see Groot grow his limbs and just kind of grow larger, seemingly without any input. Although maybe he's sucking in a lot of carbon dioxide. How does a tree actually increase its mass? Its mass, Because I think I recall from a quiz show that trees are going to actually bring in more of their mass from the carbon in the carbon dioxide than they are actually pulling stuff up from their roots, which seems counterintuitive given, you know, soil is denser than air. Is that true or am I misremembering something? That's true. Uh, and that's because most of, most of the actual cell wall material um, is is cellulose, so it's just a starchy sugar kind of molecule, and the majority of that comes from carbon, um, and then the carbon itself is coming in from the atmosphere. That being said, they are bringing in a lot of stuff from their roots, which is mostly water, but also a lot of micronutrients that you need, um, as well as like nitrogen. Um, so like nitrogen is going to come from the soil. Um, micronutrients, other than that, are going to come in through the soil. But, and then water is going to come into the soil, but the actual carbon carbon that makes up, I guess, most of the tree um, is, is all going to come from the air. So maybe Groot is very thirsty and nitrogen deficient, but he could 
with a lot of caveats here, actually pull in a whole bunch of carbon very, very quickly from the CO2 in the air, assuming he's in a carbon-rich environment. And then we could maybe, if we wanted to be very charitable, we could say that's how he's growing larger very quickly. Or is that pushing the bounds of the speed at which we can pull carbon out of the air? So I was looking into, I was like, what is, what's the fastest growing plant? And it turns out it's bamboo. It can grow at a rate of, I think, 35 inches per day, which is, I mean, that's, that's pretty rapid. You could like actually watch grass grow and it would be, that would be almost exciting, but still it was a little bit more than that. So maybe he's just like kind of bamboo-y, but like extra bamboo-y. So I guess it's kind of, I mean, within the realm of plausibility. He's space bamboo. (laughs) 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 But I was also wondering about that. Like, is he just, I was, because we never see him eat and I feel like he should be eating all the time. Because mm. plants do actually need to take in a lot of things through their roots, and he doesn't have those. So is he just eating a bunch of things all the time? We didn't see that in the movie. Do we see anyone eat? Because you don't see anyone else eat, then that would be normal. Because then you just make the assumption with all the other characters. So maybe just any time that they're not on camera, we can just assume that they're times. <laughs> yeah, that he's just sucking up all the water and, and carbon that <laughs> This leads me to my other question, though, which is, does he have teeth? Like, he has teeth, but what are they made of? Are they, like, human teeth? They could be just stolen human teeth. (laughs) I think he stole them from George Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Revenge for the cherry tree? Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. We also do see Groot wince in pain. Can plants feel pain or can they feel at all i mean so like i guess like as we know pain it's like a nerve response right so like like if you touch a hot stove the the nerve endings in your fingers are picking up that something bad is happening and then they're sending that signal to your brain plants don't really have a nervous system and they don't feel pain i guess as as we would conceive it that being said plants do actually communicate a lot so they do have like if they're being chewed on by like a grasshopper or something the plant will release hormones into into the air to prompt it for an immune response so like it is responding to things that would be painful i was i did finger quotes there but you can't see it (laughs) either feeding damage or other things like that and that'll warn other other parts of the plant that like watch out there's a swarm of locusts coming as well as other plants around it so now the other plants around it know there's a swarm of locusts and now they just i don't know die in fear what's the benefit there plants can respond to their environment sometimes they'll have chemicals within the cells that they can release to deter chewing so and then prompt like an immune response within the cell like they can they can respond to stimuli without necessarily having that communicate throughout their system in this in the way we are our systems communicate right i was but i guess like pain in us is trying to change our behavior right so like Mm -hmm. as we can move we can take our hand off the stove plants because they can't move to respond they'll have to they release chemicals to try to deter whatever chewing on them gotcha like maybe make themselves taste very bitter to a certain predator or whatever and then it'll be less interested in chewing exactly toward the end of the first Guardians movie, Groot dies. Spoiler. 
and his buddy Rocket picks up a twig and repots it, growing what is essentially Groot's child. When I first saw it, I assumed that new Groot was the same being, but like, you know, his arm came off, like, took a piece of his arm, stuck it in a plant, and regrew Groot. But the writer-director, James Gunn, clarified that Big Groot is dead, Baby Groot is a whole new guy. Basically his kid, he said. Which, I suppose, makes that whole we are Groot scene a whole lot sadder. But in the real world, why can you make a cutting of some plants and not others? Is that actually true? Uh, and, and then are those two plants genetically identical, or would you more accurately call it a child? Since the branch originally came from Groot, then the genetics of that should be identical. I will say that, you know, the director of this movie and making that statement that it's a whole new group just sounds like he just made that up because he doesn't know anything about plants. (laughs) (laughs) James Gunn has been called out. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, it should be genetically uh, identical. And in regards to making cutting, I I know that you can do it for a fair amount and a wide variety and there's different methods and how you do it. Um, There's certainly some plants that are more successful in that than others, like uh, particularly with apple trees. Yeah, and it's really common for a lot of woody woody plants um, that you'll yeah you'll just take a cutting and then um, propagate it. But it's the point of doing a cutting is that it's the exact same genetic background. If you don't have the exact same genetics, the apple itself isn't going to be. It might not taste as good or like look as good. And so that's why they do cuttings. But technically, those are called daughter plants. So Oh. So then Groot is daughter. <laughs> so baby Groot is maybe more like a clone of Groot than a child, or a little bit of both. And I guess in that sense is a separate character, because who's to say how Groot's memory is stored? We don't know if he has a brain or what. So maybe in that sense... This is not the same Groot, but despite being genetically identical, I suppose. Um, is that better? I, like, is, is it, I, I can't decide if it's more or less sad if after somebody dies, there's a clone of them running around. I think that would be much weirder for his teammates, like maybe worse than if he had just died and been gone. Yeah, but maybe his teammates enjoy that because they actually get to see him grow up for the good and the bad. I know they probably didn't enjoy him when he was a teenager, but, you know, at least everyone gets to experience the fullness of, of Groot. The fullness of Groot. That would be the episode title right there. <laughs> the only other thing I had uh, in particular about Groot was how he grew so much from baby Groot to, in uh, um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, to what I suppose we have to call a teenage Groot in Avengers Infinity War. I am Groot. Other than bamboo, is that a realistic time frame for a tree? Like, he was maybe six or eight inches tall, and then maybe, I think it's five years in between those movies. He's, like, five feet tall. Are there trees that grow that quickly, or is that... I mean, yeah, I certainly think that's possible. I wouldn't see why not. I mean, especially since he exhibited, exhibited other characteristics of being able to grow massively suddenly, so... Uh, you know, as long as he's getting all the, the nutrients that he needs, why not? And he's in space. I mean, I feel like <laughs> <laughs> we don't know how, how, how trees grow in space. 
right? It's a fair point. Well, and also, I'm pretty sure I feel like I've seen some kids when I was in high school, they grew five feet over a summer from, you know, from middle school <laughs> to, to high school. So if it can happen to humans, why not grew? <laughs> That's pretty rock solid logic. I'll take it. <laughs> and now it's time for the only segment in the show. It's called, hmm, technically, where normally what's going to happen is the color commentator and I take a back seat while our science expert gives us some extra nuance and maybe technical background. But this week, since Heather, our color commentator, also has the same sort of technical background, we're going to get two. Heather's going to talk to us about some nuance of Groot. Nate's going to talk to us about some nuance of science. <laughs> yeah, so mine will be the colorful one that you get to be technical. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Technically, it really depends on how you want to view Groot. So when you first introduced to Groot, uh, he's with Rocket. And you kind of understand from Rocket's experience that he was some sort of lab experiment. Now, I don't know the full backstory, but I assume that Rocket and Groot uh, met each other in this secret back lab science place. So with that, I really thought about Groot. Groot. Now, are we looking at him as a plant with animal characteristics, or is he actually an animal with plant characteristics? And I think that there's a distinct difference between those two, because it's, as we've kind of discussed, it's probably a lot harder for a plant to, to move the way that we've talked, but it's a lot easier for a plant to already have the mobility and then have plant characteristics. So as you may or may not know, sloths move really slowly and you have moss that grows on them and different plant life. So could Groot have just been a science experiment that was an animal and that he had uh, maybe some kind of genetic engineering that he now has, has a woody structure on the outside and is actually more animal than plant? I don't know, but that's just my thought. That's a fascinating idea. I particularly like the, is he a plant with animal characteristics or an animal with plant characteristics? Yeah. As far as his origin, in the comics, it's it varies depending on who writes it. But in the movie, we do get two hints that there are other Groots out there. The Collector says, I've never met a Groot. I'm Groot. I never thought I'd meet a Groot. Now, it's unclear if he's just responding to Groot saying, I am Groot. Or he might be saying... I've heard of you and I've never met one. So maybe there's a species out there. But then in Infinity War, Thor says that he took Groot, the language, as an elective on Asgard. So we get a hint that maybe if he still might be the only one of his kind, but the language he's speaking, which sounds like I am Groot over and over again. I am Groot. Well, that's just as fascinating as the first 89 times you told me that. What is wrong with giving tree here? maybe might be more widely spoken possibilities in the comics. There's gen there's usually a, a planet full of them, but in the comics, there's also all kinds of nonsense. Uh, so who knows? Thank you very much, Heather, Nate, take it away. Hmm. Technically, do I need to redo that? Was that, <laughs> that was, Perfect. Thank you. To, I was I was pushing up imaginary glasses. <laughs> mm, technically, I looked into uh, whether or not there are actually plant-human hybrids, um, and turns out there are none. So, we're Groot is really charting uncharted territory. 
here. So I was looking at it into this though, and I found that there was a 2016 study that actually did manage to fuse plant and animal cells. Um, and they, in this, they looked, they tried to take like Arabidopsis, which is like, like the lab rat of plants, and then they fused it with human bone marrow cells to see if the cell could function. What they found was that they had a human cell with mostly plant DNA in it, but then all of the the DNA, the plant DNA started to be organized like like it would be in a human cell. There might be some of these in the future, um, but still, this is only a lab experiment. So then I was looking into like what is the closest approximation of like a plant animal hybrid in nature, um, and there's one, um, and it's called Mesodinium chameleon, and it's this little like sea single-celled organism. It's called like a it's called a ciliate, and it's like a single cell with a bunch of little hairs on it that help it move. So it's like an animal cell and it kind of like an animal cell in that it eats other things. But one of the things that it eats is algae. And then when it eats the algae, then it will like take in that chloroplast and then use that chloroplast for photosynthesis. So it's like both an animal and a plant at the same time. And then actually there's a, so this phenomenon is known as kleptoplasty. And klepto means like stealing and then plasty as because it's a chloroplast. There's another example, and it's in like sea slugs, um, and they'll actually just eat like a bunch of algae, and then they'll digest like the outside part, but then they'll keep all of those chloroplasts, and then those chloroplasts will photosynthesize within the sea slug, and then that creates energy for the little sea slug as it goes as it goes about its merry way. So that's that's the closest thing that I could find to like a plant animal hybrid um, in in the actual earth where we live. That's fascinating. The idea that somebody got approval to mix a plant cell with a human cell. You, you said an animal cell, I assumed, you know, it was a mouse or it was E. coli or something. That's insane that they use a human cell. Yeah. That's, a, that's a jump. Is that the last step? I mean, I... It was not in the United States. I don't think we were there. <laughs> yeah, but they have also done experiments. I know, for example, they specifically took, well, I guess it wasn't cell, but the genetic um, features of a, a trout, the trout's ability to withstand cold temperatures and mix that with the genetics of a tomato plant to make it more frost resistant. So stuff like that does does Whoa. kind of exist. And they try to do things too, where they put all of like insulin genes, like the the genes to create insulin in plants to mass produce insulin. I thought this was cool because it's, I mean, it's essentially a whole plant chromosome within an animal cell. I this is a, this is a question for Dave because he's a a, a space person. Um, <laughs> how much radiation is in space? All energy is radiation. So all every bit of sunlight is fundamentally radiation. The popular definition of radiation, though, is usually high energy radiation, meaning like ultraviolet to gamma rays and things like that, that are the harmful parts. And then the other kind of radiation that's often talked about is um, certain high energy protons, like alpha particles and stuff like that. That's actual matter shooting out of stuff. So space is entirely filled with it all the time. One of the big problems of a Mars mission is that getting, spending six months in space to get there and six months again to get back, you're exposed to so much high energy radiation. A lot is the answer all the time. 
so I've been spending a lot of time for some reason reading about um, nuclear accidents. And so I was looking up some of that, like the, some of the studies that were about the aftermath and like what came back after the Chernobyl disaster. Um, and they were saying that actually like woody tissues are really, are much less resistant to the radiation as compared to like herbaceous things. And that it's, I mean, it's a pretty wide disparity. So like a lot of pine trees would die, but a lot of like the tiny, tiny little weed species were able to survive in, in places like that. Oh, poor group. Uh, yeah. I didn't really want to rain on his parade, but um, <laughs> looks like, <laughs> I was like, probably can't survive in space. I mean, also like it's, it's also at rates where humans couldn't survive. At the end of each episode, I want to make it clear that I love these movies partly because they are not scientifically accurate. Scientific accuracy is not a necessary component for good storytelling. But I want to be clear that I don't want to rag on these movies. It's just fun to tease them and figure it out. Although in this episode, I mean, if we accept the idea that aliens exist out there and their biology could be radically different from our own, you're sort of done already. But we even came up with we. Okay, a little less me, a little more you two. But Groot doesn't break as many rules, quote unquote, as he might seem to. This one is, is I, I assume this would be one of the silliest ones, but I want to thank you both for coming so prepared and coming so full of, I suppose, excuses for Groot. Um, there, there's another episode title. Well, it blew my mind how potentially realistic, if kind of not at all realistic, uh, a lot of this was. Um, thank you so much both for being a part of this episode. Thank you, Dave. Yeah, thank you. It was a lot of fun. That's all for this episode. Thanks once again to my guests, Heather Calhoun and Nate Forrest Miller. Their preparedness and great humor means a lot to me. MCU audio clips were taken from Guardians of the Galaxy, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame, and all used entirely without permission. Please don't sue me. The music is a song called On Tiptoe from Purple Planet Music. That song and more royalty-free music can be found at purple-planet.com. And not to brag, but just to clarify for the sake of the credits, all other aspects of the production, including research, writing, and editing, were done by me, Dave Reinersman. Thanks for listening. See you next week. <laughs>